0: Hi right, Chris, well welcome on The Rental Journal Podcast. Welcome to Adelaide. Yeah, actually, yeah, I've been to the convention. We're actually at the higher 22 convention at the moment. I've been to one before. Is this your first show? For many years, I think I've been to another one probably the last time it was in Adelaide. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it always surprises me like how big the convention actually is down here. Like it, it does attract a lot of people. Very, very impressive displays, yeah. yeah for sure. So. Look, we've been talking for a while. You've been a, a long term listener of the podcast, and we were going back and forth a while ago. Uh, we're going to do an interview uh, online, but then figured while I'm in town in Adelaide, best opportunity to sort of catch up. So, super excited just to share your story and learn a little bit more about Chris. Thanks, Mike. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. All right. So, maybe you just want to start off with uh, where do you work at the moment? What's your company? And then maybe we'll lead into like, how you got into the industry.
1: Yeah, so the business we have now, uh, I started six years ago, uh, and it's a rental business, purely Volvo construction equipment. We're based within the Volvo dealership here in South Australia, and so we have a range of Volvo construction equipment. We have uh, their core fleet, which would be their wheel loaders, their dump trucks, excavators. We have some of their other fleet, um, track skid steers, backhoes, um,
0: and... that that range of gear is all Volvo yeah and it's sales rental and service all three components
1: we only do rental Uh, the dealership does the sales the maintenance um, the used equipment sales Um, so we sit within the built in the same building in the same yard um, but we are only the rental yeah so we do wet and dry
0: as well which is another yeah. layer of complexity yeah that'll be an interesting topic that we'll cover a bit later on because we haven't spoke about wet hire that much on on the mm-hmm. podcast so so obviously at that point now where you, you've got your own company you have got that Volvo brand in there where was the early beginnings where did you sort of get involved in the industry initially I
1: started back in 1986 87 I think it was I was doing an apprenticeship as a motor mechanic with my grandfather Monday to Friday up in the mid-north so I had to drive up to a little town called Bibrairie up in the mid north, um, and then drive back on Friday night. The wages were terrible as a first year apprentice. I think I was earning about $130 a week, and 40 bucks was going in fuel, getting there and back, and living with my grandparents. It was my grandfather's uh, business, um, and then a friend of mine said, "Oh, I'm working at a hire place, a little general hire place called Castle Hire, um, and they look they're looking for someone to help out on the weekends." So I went in there and I said, oh, "I'm an apprentice mechanic," and he said, "Oh, great! We'll get you started on the wash bay on Saturdays and Sundays, and pretty much tripled my my weekly income, which is pretty handy. But it meant I was working seven days a week. Um, but I really enjoyed that. It was a really good opportunity to start in that in, in the industry. I knew nothing about it beforehand, and um, working on the wash bay, and then started working on trailers." You know, the little bits and pieces, and then started serving customers. Um, and that sort of kept me in good stead until I finished my apprenticeship, came back to Adelaide. I was working for a Holden dealership. Uh, I wasn't really enjoying being a motor mechanic, I was earning the same as the guy next to me as a qualified mechanic. And a job came out with Rec Air, uh, in the office. Um, and because I'd worked in the hire industry pretty much that whole time, uh, I was very lucky to get that position. Uh, and go straight into the office and work in operations on the front desk um, and get out of the overalls and into a nice clean shirt and in those days, Wreck Air guys used to wear a tie
0: Yeah, well, so we'll get into the Wreck Air side in a sec but I think it's every hire business's dream that a mechanic walks up and says hey, can I have a job? <laughs> it's usually <laughs> the other way around Yeah, it's begging, for figuring out how they can supply mm. uh, the, the, the shortage of staff and, and the challenge of getting Staffing is, is a real, real problem.
1: Yeah, I think I had to rewire every single trailer. Every, yeah. every in between every hire. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty small business, um, and uh, yeah, and eventually that business got taken over by Richard Stevens Hire, and then Canards is now a Canards branch. Okay. And was that a general rental store? Was it just a rental general uh, general rental store? Yes. Okay.
0: And then so the air... Rec- period so uh, was that in South Australia as well
1: yeah in South Australia I started at their biggest branch in Adelaide, which was Blair Athol um, just about the same time that they took over GKN light access so the business was growing uh, there's new products coming in new people coming in and you know it was just a huge learning curve you know I remember the first day taking a phone call and someone said there's 11 ton pad foot roller what's that <laughs> Um,
0: so eventually, learned you know their, their wide range of products and that was fantastic. And then this podcast episode was sponsored by the Fleet Office. Get away from paper documents and spreadsheets and become more compliant by using a cloud-based fleet management software. Save money by streamlining your hire business and understanding your fleet and utilization better. Create quotes, invoices allocate equipment and operators to jobs and easily compare your projected income with your current invoices, making you more profitable. Pre-starts, risk assessments, maintenance, timesheets, dockets and asset efficiency all managed on one easy to use platform. Learn more at thefleetoffice.com.au Had the opportunity uh,
1: to go to Olympic Dam uh, to work through the uh, first expansion project at Roxby Downs with Western Mining, Um, Coates and RecAir both had branches there and RecAir, the branch was growing because of the expansion I went up there, I had been up there a couple of times just sort of as a uh, branch manager sort of fill in just to answer the phones while the branch manager was away. Um, So I knew the place a little bit, Uh, it's a whole new world mining and a process plant, Um, Mm. another huge learning curve. Um, and then the expansion project came and it just grew exponentially huge
0: and so what was your first role at record high controller oh, like controller. and then was there that opportunity how did your role evolve over that period of time then
1: I pretty much stayed as a high controller but the uh, the opportunities that I had as a high controller you know I was working in shutdowns at refineries I was working at Olympic Dam during their shutdowns um, and then as the branch grew in Roxby Downs at Olympic Dam, pretty much yeah. the same place, the uh, the staff grew, and you know, I was looking after those staff, looking after the truck, looking after the mm. this, the, uh, the workshop guys uh, alongside of the branch manager. So as best as you could be described as a a two IC. Yeah,
0: I was going to say you yeah. you're, you're describing more than yeah. just what a higher controller would do in a normal branch. We yeah. had to do everything. There was you know so much
1: going on. Mm. Uh, I remember in the middle of the night um, doing deliveries with a ute and dragging 900 cubic feet compressors around the place. Wow. So, you know, things you would never do these days, but <laughs> just, there was no one else to do it.
0: Yeah, mm. and like I've heard a lot about the history of Rec Hair, we had a few people on the podcast, and, and one thing that has probably been a common mm-hmm. mention is that the, the, the culture and the people Within that organisation, was that something that you were involved in? Absolutely loved it. You know, they were a really supportive team, very progressive.
1: Um, I made good friends with people in head office in uh, in Coburg, and um, you know, even to the point where when I'd go over to Melbourne, I'd catch up with one of the guys, and we'd talk Formula One for the, you know every minute of the day, and. They had this, even though we were using a green screen computer system, it still had a messaging thing down there. We could talk to each other, so even though we were talking to customers, we could still message each other back and forth. This is well before, you know, the uh, internet,
0: Mm. as we know it. Did you know that there is still companies in the U.S. that use a green screen as their computer system? They need help. (laughs) It's uh and. we can go down this tangent this is one of the things that we were talking about beforehand so I think it's like 8 of the top 10 in the US are on that system there you go it's quite amazing isn't it like I think parts of the US is so much further ahead than the rest of the world in terms of size and scale and stuff like that Hmm. but the adoption of technology and innovation stuff like that I think there is I think there might be some patches where they cover things but it's not it's not, as, it's not to say that they're advanced in technology. That's, that's definitely not the case because, yeah, there's certain aspects that I think um, Australia is leading. Like like I know that you've done a lot of work on, on, on your software side. Um, and, yeah, I think there's, there's learnings from both directions, I think.
1: Yeah, well, I would imagine that they're using it because it still works and it's dependable and, and so on. And they're probably using a whole suite of other Software packages on top of that to yeah. instead of an integrated package, mm. which you know everyone tries to get to now, where you know you're using one database. Yeah,
0: I remember I was in I was in New York, and I was visiting uh, a customer I was doing some consulting for, and I was in the branch, and uh, there was a, a college student that was working on the weekend, uh, and he was sort of popping through and. It was one of his first days and they they were showing him how to enter stuff into the computer system and he thought it was a prank like, <laughs> it, it was like nah, like where's the actual system and then i think the following question was where's the mouse because there's no mouse it's hotkeys it's just hot oh, case. Hot case, yeah. and yeah, yeah so like it was um you can see with like that that next generation coming through like it just didn't make sense to him like he's got an iphone in his hand where he can do whatever he wants And then he's got a keyboard where he's constrained to, like, F12 and stuff like that. So
1: it's crazy, isn't it? Change does take a long time. I remember we used to do everything in triplicate books and then take out the the sheet and hand it to the lady behind us and she would punch it into the computer. And then we had the rollout at RecAir with computers on our own desk. And I remember being quite reluctant to it. How am I going to get time to do that? Yeah. (laughs) And then after a while, you realise how quick it was and how useful the system was, you know, even that little question mark where you want to find something and then you realise it had a really good uh, structured database and made it very easy to ring up another branch and say, that
0: welder is not being used, can we have it? Mm. Yeah, I think that's a common aspect, like even if, let's take a simple analogy of, uh, of wet hire, because we'll talk about that in a sec, having like paper dockets, or paper tickets for your, uh, your people in the field that are handwriting everything. They, if they, they might think that it's faster for them to handwrite it because it's just there and then they can hand the paper in and then their their conscious is done like they're they're finished, but then the flow-on effect from that delays in in invoicing, uh, not accurate uh, uh, details that are entered into the system, um, uh, in terms of how fast you get paid, uh, errors that come through like all that sort of stuff like it's it's important to. Like when you reference yourself as like saying, i have got a computer on my desk, how am I gonna k- keep the time? I think it still exists today with auxiliary things where people are doing things on paper and they're a little bit nervous around moving to like a mobile app. I think it's still very, very relevant today as well. Yeah,
1: the pushback that we've had sometimes when pushing out an app into the field to get guys to do check sheets or timesheets, you know, why do I have to do this? And after a while, once they start using it, they realize the benefit of it. But the benefit to us is huge. In the, in the back end, mm. that accuracy. Um, an example would be when the guys do a daily check sheet and they report a fault, and they might report that fault every day for two or three weeks until someone picks up the sheets and reads them all and goes, Hang on, I didn't know this was a problem. Mm. could have fixed it two weeks ago when the mechanic went past.
0: Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize there was a big crack in the windscreen, no mm. one told me that.
1: Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the air conditioning didn't work, or yeah. this or that.
0: Something like that, yeah, yeah, very interesting. All right, so back to, back to Rec here. So you got that, that, that experience, then what was the sort of journey from there?
1: Well, after I came back from Olympic Dam, uh, that, experience, that experience up there was amazing, but uh, I pretty much got burnt out. We were doing huge days, I remember. Christmas Day, Easter, everything it was always busy because the plant ran 24 hours a day, the mine ran 24 hours a day, um, and it was time to have a break. So I ended up coming back to Adelaide, just before 2000, and started a little CD shop down at Semaphore. Complete change. It was a it was a childhood dream to have my own little CD shop, and uh, did that with another fella, and it was called the Sonic Temple, and it was the quickest way to spend loads of money and lose it. <laughs> but great experience. Lived a rock and roll lifestyle for you know about a year or so, um, and then I met my wife, and she said, you know, you should do something you that's gonna pay the bills. <laughs> so um, with her um, behind me, I was able to go to university and, and I thought, well, the other thing I really like is property because you know, when I'd been in Roxby, I'd been buying residential properties for rental. Um, and so I went off and did a Bachelor of Business um, in property to become a valuer. And while I was doing that, I was still working at, I'd, I'd gone back to Coates, I'd gone back to Recke at that stage uh, just as Coates took over so I went through that process and then stayed working for, for Coates on Saturday mornings um, at one of the small branches and um, continued to do my university and then as I went through that I got a job with Av Jennings doing residential land development uh, and finished my degree uh, with their support and i left the hire business by that stage, had a full time job there as a business development manager. And then um, I was going back a long way now. Um, Then I was uh, tapped on the shoulder actually by uh, Macquarie Bank. They had a a business called Urban Pacific, which is another residential developer. Um, And i just started my um, Master of Business Administration, MBA at that point, and they agreed to, to cover that, which was fantastic. Uh, So I worked for them, that was a similar sort of role to Av Jennings, but also in South Australia, uh, Western Australia and Northern Territory. So I was flying around the country looking for development projects, uh, which was a fantastic experience. Again, working at uh, that level and that sort of professionalism, you know, you learnt a lot about risk management um, from the Macquarie guys. Uh, But then of course the GFC came and it was time to uh, get out of property and um, at that point, the uh, yeah, Macquarie were getting out of property development. And they were trying to get some people to stay and finish some projects. But I knew somebody whose children were at a um, at the same childcare place as, as my kids, and they happen to have a uh, their parents had a um, big rental business here in Adelaide, um, Renfrew Plant Hire, and they were looking to retire and appointed general manager. So I went in, had the interview and uh, started there. And that gave me some fantastic experience uh, for the next six years until they finally retired, I was running their business.
0: Okay, wow, what a what a journey. So you're telling me that you were in that hire game and then you owned a CD store, <laughs> then you got into property development and then you came back after the GFC to the, to the hire game as well.
1: Yeah, and it was, it was great, but I really enjoyed, I always loved working in hire because you're always helping people. Yeah. You know, helping solve problems. Um, even when we were working in the branch at uh, at Rec Air, you know, the other branches in the country would ring up and say, well we really need this, we really need that. And I would make, make it my business to make sure that those parts got onto the plane or got onto the truck or the machine that they were looking for got there. It was so important to them and for their clients that the, the machines kept going or they they had what they needed to carry on the job mm. so that gave me the satisfaction and I think that was what really really enjoyed about the business was, you know helping people
0: yeah yeah it's important that when you're in any role that you care like you've got to care about what you do if you customers co-workers leaders anyone suppliers they, they can smell when you are when you actually are motivated and and care and they can also tell when you don't care, mm. and so I think it's very important for anyone that wants a career in hire that you have got to have that passion and that drive and that and that will. Like I like the fact that you said that you'd make it your business to get the parts on the on the plane to get there on time. Like it's, that's a great way to think.
1: Yeah, even now um, we've got machines working all over the country, and um, you know if someone needs something, I will take the parts to the truck depot and take photos of the, the con notes and everything and say, it's on its way. We've done everything we can to make sure that you're going to be up and running. we to minimise any downtime.
0: Yeah, that's really, really good. Mm. So then, um, once the, that, that organisation, the, the, you said the family organisation decided to retire, what yeah. happened then?
1: Well, I'd made some, I had six years of working in heavy equipment um, and I'd made a great relationship with Hitachi, uh, um, Volvo, Caterpillar. But uh, the local Volvo dealer, um, Adam Wallace uh, from Warren Mining Equipment, uh, gave me a call and said, Do you want to start a hire business? Of course I do, (laughs) especially with Volvo. What a great brand. Um, And so we talked about it and we talked to the guys from Volvo Rent, which is a different business. Um, That's a rental arm owned by CJD uh, on the eastern states. And we spoke to Alan from CJD, had a a um, couple of great conversations there. They were very supportive. So Adam and I um, put a few things on the line and started up, bought some machines, and started a high business six years ago.
0: Wow. So, so there's a little, there's a bit of a lesson here. Um, I'm assuming that relationship that you built up was through networking and and, and a business partnership it was on top of association. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We used to, as at Renfrew, we used to buy Volvo equipment and. Um, Adam and I got on pretty well. Um, very, We come from a similar background. It wasn't until actually I started working in the same office with him in the rental business that we found out that we both went to the same primary school. Oh wow. Uh, almost pretty, at the same time. That's so, pretty cool. Um, that's Adelaide. Um, yeah, so it was a good relationship there and we had similar values and, and it just made sense. Um, Renfri were a big Volvo customer and that customer was no longer there. Um, and there was, so there was an opportunity in the market to to put some Volvo equipment into the rental market, um, and have it supported by his um, workshop mm. team.
0: So, so talk me through that initial stages then. So when you when you were approached to to start that business, what were, what did the initial days look like? Oh, it
1: was it was frenetic. Um, you know, you go first of all, you go through all the normal things of starting up a. a a business, you have plans, you look at those feasibilities, you wonder if it's going to work, you talk to people and get a lot of uh, input from people who've got their own businesses. I had uh, a very, very lucky relationship with the guy in Adelaide who has Hertz, trucks and um, utes, had a chat with him, he was looking at even coming on as an investor at one stage, um, but we kept it very simple we thought we'll start very small and we'll buy a few machines and, and just grow it organically. We had the help from um, CJD's Volvo Rents uh, where they would put some fleet into South Australia and we'd rent it from them um, on a sub-hire basis um, and it grew very quickly. You know, we you know, had a lot of connections in, in the industry from people who wanted to hire equipment and then we offered uh, the wet hire as well um, but we started off with no computer system. I had a, a an iPad and a, a mobile phone and they'd give a desk own. and i built a spreadsheet and it was like okay well how do we get this working and um, I think it was about nine, twelve months and I said to Adam I think I'm going to have to hire somebody and it was starting to get out of control and he said I don't know why it's taking you so long. <laughs> and so um, I had someone come on board and I had to teach them you know what was required as far as the rental stuff goes but uh it it grew very quickly you know we've got a fantastic product i would argue probably one of the best uh equipments and equipment brands in the in the industry Mm. um so it's it's easy to to rent it out you're not trying to sell something that's not not really wanted
0: yeah and so what were the first types of machines like what, what are we talking about
1: first machine was a wheel loader um 90 wheel loader and that machine is still on hire, long long term hire, it's been fantastic. From day one? From day one.
0: That is unbelievable, that's amazing isn't it?
1: Yeah we're very lucky in that um, every machine that we bought we were able to get on hire pretty quickly um, and we bought some second hand machines from from Volvo Rents so they were all set up as rental machines and uh, we had to work hard to get the compliance and have our own systems in place. And then we started working on a, on software, but uh, yeah, we were very lucky that because we were not setting up pretty much from scratch, we already had a customer base um, with the Volvo customers who we needed to hire equipment from time to time. You know, we uh, we always had a, a positive uh, bottom line at the end of every month from day one.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Mm. So, so talk to me about the the stress starting a business then so was that something that you were prepared for in the first 12 months
1: yes and no I think there was a time before we before I actually pushed the button on the on going into it I I knew I had all the ingredients but did I have enough heat in the engine in the oven to cook it you know it's like how do we, how do I know that you did burn
0: out before yeah? you said you yeah I was pretty
1: cooking. tired um, even working the other business in you know, as they were winding up it was a pretty stressful time um, but I think I sat down to myself, well, I'm going to put everything I've got on, on the line here to put into this business, you know, there's a big equity um, in there so it was like, take it all out of the house and put it into this thing and you know, it's got to work. And I had to test myself and I thought to myself, well, how am I going to do that? And I was a pretty amateur sort of bike rider, you know, I like riding on the flats and, you know, it's pretty simple and I thought, there's a, close, there's a hill near my place called Windy Point and I thought, well, if I can get myself up there, if I can do that, then I know that I've got enough mental strength to, to do it. And I knew I was gonna, it was going to be hard, I knew running a business was going to be hard, read lots of books, You know, I'd had my CD shop before and I knew there was going to be stresses and I started riding up to this uh, windy point and the first day I got to the first bus stop, which is even not even a kilometre up the hill when I was just about dead and I thought, oh, i really got to push myself here, got to keep pushing myself and every couple of days I'd go a bit further and a bit further and eventually I got to the top and it felt so good to get to the top and I I knew I could do this and and I knew that starting the business was the right thing to do, had all the experience, had all the contacts, had a fantastic partner, fantastic product in the Volvo gear, you know, now I knew that in my head that I could do it and I knew that I was going to be able to push myself to do it and you know as of last week I've ridden up that hill 333 times. Wow. Now that's it's amazing. now it's a bit of a
0: training run. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what an amazing story! I think that's that's a a love that you 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 thought about the the mental side and you, like it, it's it's something that I think a lot of people underestimate when they start a business or they get associated with a business. Like it, it's almost like you know when people say, "Oh, I could be a CEO" or "I could be a general manager," like you don't really know the stresses like. Part, part of the importance of, of doing that role is blocking all the noise for your team. Like, you want to be that, that coach that's making sure that no one's getting affected by the negativity that's flowing around, all the stresses, or are oh, we going to make it this month, or whatever it is. So, I love that you applied that mental side. And it's even better that you applied it to a physical activity that, that obviously means a lot to you now. When you ride mm. up that hill, it probably brings back memories. Oh, I often, you know, I go past
1: that first bus stop now, and I think know uh, nothing. <laughs> you know, but it was it, at one point it was really hard. You know, and uh, now I get to the top and it's like that's the start of the ride. You know, and it's a bit the same. You know, the analogy is there for the business or the metaphor. You know, you you say, right, I've done that first bit. Now what's next? Where can I go next? You know, I I know I've got the strength to get to the hardest part. Now where do I take the business next? And that's the next challenge is knowing where to go to
0: next yeah so, so so what do you think has been the biggest challenges so far in in that, that that six year period
1: look i think one of the the challenges was always wanting to be having a you know um a positive bottom line at the end of each month that was always my goal and um i think i've achieved that every month has always been in the black even though it's a massive capital intensive business and and so on and i think the Reason that was for the first twelve months, I did everything myself, and I, I basically divided it up into four parts. There was administration, there was sales, there was maintenance, and you know by divvying it all up, uh, you had to go uh, and operations, and you had to basically develop each role and do them all. And then as time grew, as uh, time went on, and the business developed, I could afford then to hire somebody else. So administration was the first one and uh, that took a huge load off me and then I could suddenly focus on more on sales and more on operations and recently we've taken on uh, a guy who looks after all the service and maintenance of all the equipment but each because I was doing everything I had to make it as lean and as um, efficient as possible so I took on this uh, philosophy of this guy called Greg McGowan uh, where you look at everything that's really essential you know you look you question everything you say is it essential And you boil it down to is this process really essential and when you have identified that it is essential then you say okay well how do we make it effortless and that's where the software comes in Um, that's where the technology comes in you make all these things as effortless as possible so you don't have to keep hiring people or inventing new processes and systems to, to cope with these things. You only work on what's really essential. And the first part of that question is what's important for the customer.
0: I love that. So, so maybe let's talk about some of those those streamlined processes that, that you have worked on. Obviously, the wet hire component there, but I'm sure there's a lot more. Along there, so you mentioned that a lot of it was manual in the in the early days. So, so what were some of the key things that you streamlined, and sort of how does software and technology help solve some of those things?
1: Yeah, so we we used to uh, because everything's subcontracted, uh, even you know, the Volvo dealership, the service and maintenance. Uh, we are two um, individual businesses. So when I need when we need machines repaired or serviced or prepared. We'd have to send them an order and say, can you prepare this machine you know, by this date? And they would go ahead and do that, or if we have a breakdown in the field. So it was ring them up, send them all the details, and then they would come back to us and say, um, oh, what's the serial number for that machine? All this sort of thing. Um, or we would organize transport, and so you had to ring up and organize the transport, and it's going here and there. And then when we got this software system going where we were creating uh, a rental order, or a work uh, for a job, um, we were then able to take all the information out of that job and send it as instructions to all those suppliers. So they would know exactly which machine it was, which attachments, who, what time it was going, who the site contact was. We just take the fields out of the mm-hmm. out of the rental order and be able to shoot them off to the individuals instead of writing out pieces of paper and people losing things or you know getting numbers wrong. It was really important to get all the information to the right people at the right time um, and that's worked really well and that's been one of the things that saved us so much time instead of writing emails and uh, over and over again especially when you've got multiple pieces of equipment going to one job or you know, on a Monday morning you've got six or seven machines going out and you don't want to write heaps of different things so mm. now it's just a matter of delivery instructions choose which carrier you're going to take and then it selects all the information you just push a button and it sends all the information to the supplier
0: yeah so so where did you get that technology side from like that, that mindset because a lot of small businesses they fall into the trap of oh yeah let's just hire another admin person let's just hire another admin person and next minute you've got a team of admin people that are just shuffling paper around the office and sending emails like you, you really want to optimize that process so so where did that mindset come from? Was that something you learned, or you always had? Or where did it come from?
1: Look, I think it was one of those things where you want to make it... I've always had a, a, a plan that you want to make it so that if I step out of the business, someone else can do it. Or, you know, if I'm not there, someone else can do it. So you make it as easy as possible. Um, and it reduces the, uh, the room for error as well. So it's a process then that, you know, you create the, the rental order on the system, uh, all that information is then captured. Then it's just transmitting that information to the right people at the right time. And I think just it was an efficiency thing and it was driven by, you know, every month we wanted to have that uh, little black number instead of a little red number. Mm. And um, so you're always working on on ways to do that. And I think by hiring people there was always going to be, finding the right person would always be difficult and the cost of having somebody and you know, we try to avoid that where we can. You know, we've got a nice little office, and even after six years, we've got a big round table, and we've got four c- computers sitting on that table, um, and four chairs. But at the moment, there's only three of us, and it's working w- really well now. And as it grows, I'm tempted, I'm <laughs> getting tempted to to hire somebody else to uh, do the operations um, side of things, so I don't have to do that, that so much or somebody to do the sales side of things, just to keep it really lean and grow just behind. You know, we sort of push ourselves as much as we can, then we hire someone to do mm. it. But the systems are in place so that they can be trained to come in and do it very quickly. Um, and that's our way of doing it, you know. Yeah, and it's awesome. very consistent. Um, I think, I've said to the staff that uh, if I Ever need a fifth chair? Well, that's time for me to leave. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, and should run itself eventually.
0: That's very nice. That's good. So, so with all this technology and the streamlining of the processes, the front of mind which you alluded to as well is Mm. the customer. Always the customer. So, making sure that the customer is reaping the benefits of some of these technology implementations that you've put into the business. So, so how does it improve the customer experience or the interactions with the customers?
1: I think first of all getting rid of as many mistakes as possible, uh, there's, um, that room for error by all coming out of the one system, all the information has to be in there for it to be um, saved as a rental order um, and the information coming from the database, it, um, it just reduces that room for error, that's better for the customer. The equipment gets delivered on time. The customer gets a copy of the, those instructions as well. So they have an opportunity then to say, no, hang on, that's not right. You've got the wrong delivery address. Um, it's very expensive to send machines to the wrong place. You know.
0: mm. Yeah, and then if you do bill the incorrect amount, next minute they're asking for credits, and then you've got to uh, do another invoice, and then a delayed payment, and then there's a trust issue, and then you know the drill.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. So we try and make it we, – we aim for the effortless um, – point for us and for the customer, you know, that when, they've, when they get the, a copy of the instructions they see yes everything's right, everything's, that's exactly what they asked. You know, We take that time to ask that question um, during the thing, we have a phone order pad, pretty much the same as what we used to use at Coats and Rec Air, uh, it prompts you to ask all those questions so you can fill out a, a rental order. Um, it's better for the customer in that they can see that things are being organised, they have confidence in it. If there's a, a, a machine breakdown or it needs to be serviced, they get a copy of that. They know it's been actioned straight away. They can see who the instructions have been sent to. They know that something's been that's been actioned, and we can track then how long it takes to get that that work done. Mm. Um, we can track our suppliers, and we're just always looking for that room for improvement, which is going to benefit the customer.
0: Yeah, no, very much so. And so, look, we're we'll talking before the podcast around making sure you ask the right questions when you talk to customers as well. One of the common mistakes that you said a lot of people make is they ask them, How long do you need the equipment for? So, do you want to just talk about that just a little bit?
1: Yeah, I learned that from a customer. Um, a guy came in from Wyala, uh, from the steelworks. And he said, oh, I've got this job coming up. Um, I've got to need this and this and this. And the first question I said to him was, Oh, yeah, so uh, how long do you need it for? thinking to my head oh I'm going to get this machine on hire for ages and he said you guys always ask the wrong question you should always ask you know what's the job what are you doing and he said you might be able to add some more value that way and uh, I took that on this is when I was working for Renfrey, and that served me well ever since and in, instead of thinking of what's good for me it's thinking about better what's better for the customer and that's shaped everything I've done since it was a really profound moment.
0: Yeah, it's funny because sometimes people would probably ask, "How long do you need it for?" Because they're scared to ask questions, like they're a bit nervous. Mm. And so, it's almost like customers aren't as scary as you think. Mm. <laughs> like you're you're upplaying like what they're going to say. Like the customers love working with the suppliers that provide solutions. And so, mm. I think when people realise that. There's a, a partnership there. And, and as, I, as I alluded to, like if you've got a scissor lift, like anyone can just say, yep, go get the 19 foot scissor. But if you can find out, well, you actually need to reach 25 feet, well, okay, now we're in trouble, aren't we? So, yeah. so that stuff like that is important to understand the purpose of it and build that relationship. And so you only gain that with experience.
1: Mm, that's right. And that's where you can add some value and become more of a, instead of a store to them, you become a partner to them to solving their problems. You may have already come across this uh, job before and said, oh, I've got another customer who'd used the same machine, but they use this attachment. Or, you know, there's a, you know what are you using it for? Oh, okay, well, our machines aren't really gonna suit you, but I know somebody who can help you.
0: Mm. And so the wet hire side, let, let's dive into that a little bit. So how does that fit into the business model at the moment?
1: Well, it's an extra service that we provide. Um, again making it easier for the customer we can coordinate an operator through various agencies we use a a pool of agencies um, and coordinate the fuel delivery and the machine and the servicing and everything else and they get one invoice Uh, and it can be based on an hourly rate um, for Monday to Friday or Saturdays or a flat rate whatever suits them Uh, and quite often that's much easier for them some of our clients might be a plumbing uh, major plumbing contractor where on occasions they need a bigger excavator um, most of their guys are plumbers they don't want to put them on a, on a bigger excavator without the experience um, so we will organize the the whole package for them and then they'll get one invoice and they think it's fantastic so we, we've got four or five customers who that's all they do they don't do any dry hire at all it's all wet hire and mm. that's a provo- uh, something we provide but it does come with a a lot of headaches, especially at the moment with such a shortage of of good quality operators. Yeah, well, there's a few
0: things there. you've got to find the operators, there's a lot more paperwork that goes along. I'm assuming you're doing pre-starts and timesheets and dockets and all that sort of stuff that goes along with it. Probably checking for any faults in the machine, making sure you're billing the correct hours. Does it go based on the SMU hours? Like, you know, like there's a lot of uh, complexity. And I think (laughs) one of the shortfalls that a lot of uh, higher businesses into the trap of is errors. It's a lot easier to make errors when you're on wet hire. So it
1: makes and
0: you're exactly right. There's a lot of room for errors
1: there, especially when you've got guys who you don't who have not used before as operators. and um, they've worked for other people when they've done things different ways. Um, we use our own paperwork. We have up until recently used paper books, and then we moved away from that because of the errors. And now we're going to a QR code system on the machines where the operator. Scans it. All the information for the machine is there. They can do their timesheets on there. They can get it approved on their phone. They can uh, do their check sheets on there. All that information comes back to us, and we know in real time when the machine's been checked, who's operating it, and their timesheets can come straight into the back end of our system.
0: Yeah. No. That's that's. that's I, I love that you're still a relatively small business, but you you're so ahead of the curve from the technology side. It, we have
1: invested a lot in it and it is it does pay dividends very quickly mm.
0: I've always thought about the it, it's amazing that you can have these these multi branch companies national companies that have millions and millions of dollars of, of assets and they spend so little on innovation and technology to help them improve their processes it's it's um, and I, okay, let's just say hypothetically throw a number out there Couple hundred thousand dollars to do an initiative to improve a process. Mm. It's so common for people just to push back and go, "Oh, we could just buy another machine." You know what I mean? Like it, it it takes a certain type of mindset to to see the benefit of of implementing a certain software or or technology or 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 QR codes or or telematics. That's another great example. Or GPS. Like it, it, it. I think that next generation of leaders that are coming through see that a bit clearer um, because it it plays a huge role in building up an ROI for the business yeah and the is there to
1: help us uh, not do everything for us but really help us the the GPS and the the Volvo care track gives us all the information on servicing and fault codes Um, they're going to hold next level with AI with Volvo at the moment but um, what we're seeing, uh, what really helps us is those reminders when equipment's due to be serviced. You know, we set it up so we know two weeks before, one week before, and then 20 minutes, uh, twenty hours before it's due for a service. We're on top of that and we've coordinated the servicing with with the branch to go and do those services with the customer. The customer knows it's gonna be serviced on time. Mm. Uh, it used to be that the customer used to bring us up and say, this is overdue for Can't service you know now we're using all the information coming into our system and we're not missing anywhere near as many services. Not perfect but we're certainly maintaining it. I think it's really important when you've got millions of dollars worth of assets out there which other people are using in remote locations or all around the city, um, the the cost of the technology to maintain uh, an eye on those things is, is insignificant compared to the cost of those machines and the value of them.
0: Yeah, and there's a couple of elements to that as well because I think anyone can get a GPS unit and just put it on a machine and and just have dots on a map. That's pretty. That's been done for a very long time. It's it's the data that you take from that IoT or that telematics, whatever you want to call it, device, and it's what you do with that that gives you a competitive advantage in the market. So I think I think the problem that a lot of technology companies have is that they come in and, and they they push themselves as a GPS solution. No one cares about mm. just the GPS. I can go to Navman and just get it. Like, who cares? Like, but I want to know, like, like as, as, a, as a rental business, how can I leverage the data from the machine to make better decisions? Mm. That's where the cream is.
1: Yeah, and that's where we can help our customers as well. We can look at, the driver behaviour, we can look at the fuel usage. And if they make improvements to their processes or if it's a quarry, if they make changes to their haul roads or to their uh, methods and and uh, their processes, they can, s- they can start to see a difference in fuel usage, for instance, mm-hmm. and make huge savings. And we can provide that information to them in a meaningful way. There's so much data available. You know, each machine's got thousands of points of data coming through. Um, but making it meaningful and making it relevant to them Um, there's a lot of customers they don't need to see that they just need to know when it starts and when it finishes and give us a bill for it but on those mining jobs on the on the quarry jobs with or the bulk materials jobs they need to know how much they're handling and and so they can make changes to make things more efficient
0: yeah very true all right well if you could give advice to someone that was thinking about starting their own hire business a small business what advice would you give us pretty tough time Mm -hmm. at the moment to start a business with supply but you get some used equipment and and get through it what would you say
1: from our experience you would start small um, and build it up slowly as as you get more comfortable with the with the market and the market gets more comfortable with you spend the time on your processes send spend your time on your um, your back your back office spend your time with the technology because it will save you in the end as you grow and you know, when, when you're handling 10 machines, it's, it's one thing, but when you're handling 60 machines and 20 or 30 operators, um, it's a whole new ball game. But starting off, it's more capital intensive than, than you think. Cash comes in a lot slower than what you think. It goes out a lot faster than what you think. Um, you will need to have very good uh, network of people around you to support you, the suppliers um, and customers. And people, you know, who believe in you to help you get through those tough times. Mm. I think um, it's it's that whole network. You, you can't do it by yourself.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think sometimes when you you own your own company or you're a CEO or whatever it is, it can be a bit of a lonely place, as well. So even just chatting about some of the stuff you're working on really helps a lot in. Your mindset and giving you a clear picture around what do you want because like do you ever get that do you ever feel like not lonely but like like it like the burdens on you sort of thing
1: well sometimes it's hard for other people to see what you see and what you're
0: trying to do now look, look but to follow up on that as well yeah. so I think when people are stressed it's even harder mm-hmm. to convey your message yeah
1: yeah so I think so I think sometimes you uh, you know, you're stressed, and you need someone to talk to, but you don't want to let people know that you know you're having a hard time because you know you're the front of the business and all that. And you've got to have somebody that you can confide in and bounce ideas off of, and so on. And I guess I'm very lucky with my business partner Adam Wallace, who's got his own business to run. His office is next door to mine. He runs his business, I run my business, but we talk every day about the challenges that we face we talk about the challenges that we have with the equipment with you know getting things serviced with parts all those things and we, we share those challenges and I think sometimes we come out of those those talks we haven't got an answer but we feel better because we've had to
0: talk about it exactly yeah opening up mm. yeah and and look uh, people I would I would say like people relate more to someone that actually comes across as a human mm. people can't be robots Mm. All the time, like if if you show weakness, it chances are the person that's listening is probably going to go, Oh, I thought that Chris was like perfect, (laughs) like oh my god, like he he actually stresses about something, like what this is the thing, and so then they go, Oh, okay, blah blah blah, and then like I'm actually struggling with this, and so it's like a two way thing, you know, it's like a you got to choose the right person, the right time, the right stresses, you can't put the burden on some stuff with other stuff, but it is important not to lock things up and because it can get like you can really get stuck in your own head yeah and
1: I think when we were, we were all sitting around the the same office desk and we all, you know it's very important then to you know even if I do feel stressed you know we talk about it everyone hears the same conversation you're all on the same in the same room around a two-meter round desk um, my legs are like a duck under the water you know they come flat out and I could be stressed about things but I try and keep calm because going off the handle doesn't help anybody yeah it doesn't help the customer doesn't help me doesn't help my staff doesn't help the other people in the organisation Um, so so okay well let's look at this problem and and sort it out and and then they start to approach the problems that they have that way as well Uh, Mm -hmm. so keeping calm but you know there's sometimes the stress is there and that's when I go and talk to Adam or go and talk to somebody else you know there's always somebody I can go and talk to and say this is really not going the way I thought (laughs) how am I going to deal with this and then they'll they'll give you some advice not what to do but like you said before it's it's you know they've had a, a similar experience and you can apply those principles to that situation you can oh yeah sometimes it's just a matter of letting it go for a couple of days and come back to it and just mulling it over in your mind and, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning it'll come to you and go, mm. oh, that's how I can resolve that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think it's important for anyone that, that does any any type of role, but in particular, like, if you own your own business, it's not if things are going to go wrong, it's when. Oh, they do. Like, things are always going to go wrong and it's it's how you, you bounce back from those things that that makes you the the, the person within that role. Yeah,
1: and there's times when things don't go well, or you could have done things better. And, you know, I I subscribed to a a, a podcast by a guy called uh, Jocko Willick and S uh, Navy SEAL wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. And after reading that, I thought, that's it. You really, as a business owner, you've got to take, you know, this ownership, complete ownership of everything you do. If something goes wrong, you've got to put your hand up and say, we did this wrong, we could do it better. And I think when you talk to a customer and you say, look, we've made a mistake. Well, you know, that's happened because we didn't do something right. We can do it better. You know, they appreciate that. And uh, you're not trying to shift the blame to anyone else. Ultimately, everything that happens in your business is your, is a result of what you mm-hmm. do. So if you do make a mistake, learn from it, take it on board, change the system or change the process a little bit to avoid the chances of that happening again. Yeah, and if you can do that, and and just put your hand up and say, yeah, we did that wrong, yeah. you know, or we can do that better, and you know, talk about it as a team and say, okay, how can we do that better? How can we minimise that? Instead of having post mortems, you have a pre mortem, you know, a, especially with big projects, we do that and we say, what could go wrong here? Yeah, and like then we that. look, we look at those things and go, well, this could go wrong, or this could go wrong. How to okay, let's try and avoid that before it happens because we know that if we don't do those things, there's The likelihood of a of a major problem, you know, is going to increase.
0: Mm. And so over those years, like you've mentioned, a couple of people already. Like, is there anyone that jumps out as as a mentor that you think has has played a big influence on you? Well, certainly Adam
1: Wallace, my business partner, Um, and I would say Larry Power from Volvo Rents, been fantastic. The the guys that I used to work with at at Rec Air and Coats, you know. Michael McCreish as a sales, Michael Pym. These these guys are really good at looking after their customers. Um, Martin Foster, who um, came across from Light Access, you know, the way that they used to deal with customers and how they looked after them, you know, that that rubbed off on me. Um, my grandfather was a fantastic uh, mentor for me, as doing my first year apprenticeship with him, you know, that was really good. Um, And my mother, my mother said to me one time, I actually came home in a police car once when I was about 14 years old, nothing serious, and she said to me, um, you know, if if the school finds out about this, you'll get kicked out. You know, if if you don't work hard and study hard, you'll end up digging holes for a living. (laughs) Here I am nearly 40 years later, digging holes for a living. Oh,
0: there we go. Full circle, eh? Work hard. Full circle. That's amazing. Love that alright well if you could give advice to young Chris what would you say start earlier you know um,
1: there's a time when you when you realize that you've mature enough to to do these things but I think um, build relationships with people along the way if you've got your goal of, of starting your own business then build those relationships with that in mind that, you know, one day you you might need to to talk to those people and ask them for advice. Watch what other people do. Um, Read lots of books, listen to lots of podcasts. Um, Just always Mm -hmm. learn, it's an ongoing learning process. And I think when I first went to university, that's when I realised how little I knew. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Every day I'd come home and say, oh, now I know less than I thought I did, you know. it's, It's amazing. So you never know everything so just keep learning um and that that's the advice i'd give to myself is just keep learning continually keep learning and and look after yourself physically
0: <laughs> yeah ignorance is bliss isn't it like mm. you think you know a lot and then you uh you, you peel back that layer of the young and you realize that you know nothing mm. and it's just a continuous it just keeps on going like that You 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 get to a point where like there's people out there that have been doing a specialist field for 50 years and they they still are learning like you, yeah. you you're never going to to know everything but if you have the the, the growth mindset where you, you realize that it's okay not to know everything mm. but i need to accept that i i need to not not assume that i i know the answers to everything and and, and be willing to take on things i think. It, changes your perception on, on who you are as a person not even just in your career
1: yeah keep looking for uh, opportunities to grow and learn and uh, every time you think you know something about something like you said someone else will know more about it talk to that person find out more you know mm. every every time you go down one of those tangents there's going to be a rabbit hole and there's more and more um, but if you learn from those things and grow from those things then you're going to be more value to your customers to your family to everyone
0: yeah it was quite funny I Andy Kennard came on the podcast and the way he worded it was quite funny Uh, it it almost comes came across as negative but he meant it in a very positive way and he I asked him about how he stays motivated and stuff like that and he said never be satisfied Hmm. Uh, and you can look at it two ways you can look at like you're always like glass half-full sort of thing but what he really meant is like even if you're kicking amazing maybe Kennard has a thousand branches You've got to keep thinking, like, how can we improve the experience for our customers? How can we have the best culture in the world? Like, stuff like that. Like, you can't, you can't have a bar and say that you've, you've reached it and then, yep, we've, we've defined what we think is successful and everyone's satisfied and we don't have to do anything more. Because if you do that, someone's going to overtake
1: you. Yeah, well, we're, like I said before, we're working on that. You, you look at what is essential and then make it effortless. And the next part is to make it flawless you know and that whole process of really creative process of when you're running a business and I think a lot of people miss the fact that it is such a creative thing and you're always changing it, you're always polishing it, there's always more to be done, you never stop, you're never satisfied, yeah. you know, there's always something you could do better, every time you do a hire and the machine comes back, the customer gets a bill and you ring them up and say how was it, the experience, they go oh it was really good, you know, you want to hear that oh it's outstanding, you know, you want to hear that we never go anywhere else. that's that's what you want to hear so you're always striving to make things a little bit better so you can get to that point and then you know that you've really succeeded
0: yeah and talking about succeeding so how do you define success
1: repeat business you know when you when you're doing it right and keep people come back to you sometimes years later and they, they need the same service they had last time or you know you you provide someone with what you think is really good service and they drift off and they go somewhere else for price and they come back to you because of the service. You know you're doing it right and I think that's when the, the success is really a result of what you do and if they come back to you to us that's success you know that means that we're the result of what we're doing is
0: them coming back and that that's the important part we know we're on the right track yeah that's amazing all right Chris well thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Thank you very much, Mark. it awesome. been a pleasure. Awesome.